If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to the Eurogamer podcast. I'm Bertie, your host, and every two weeks I find another interesting person from the world of games to talk to. Remember, subscribers to the Eurogamer website get these episodes first, as well as ad-free viewing, exclusive articles and other lovely things. Check the description below to find out more. Today on the podcast, a publisher perspective. Someone who broke away from being a game critic to reimagine what a publisher could be. Someone who wanted to bring the human touch back to signing and releasing games. It's No More Robots founder, Mike Rose. Hi, Mike. Hello. Do I wave? Can I? I'll, I'll do a wave. Yeah, wave, Hello. wave is fine. Oh, perfect. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what have I interrupted you doing today? Uh, as little as possible, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we're, uh, what are we doing? We, today we are, we're putting, this is going to sound really boring, we're putting together uh, decks for uh, pitching some things to someone else. Can I be any more mysterious than that? Probably not. Uh, but that's yeah, that's what we've been doing. We're 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 pitching pitching some games right now, uh, which is uh, one of my specialities. Actually, I would say um, got so a bit of a on, got a bit of a silver so, tongue on me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you're as a as a publisher, you're pitching games. Uh, so so we are uh, some of the things we've been doing a lot recently is taking the games we have. Uh, including, you know, ones that you already know about and ones that you haven't heard about yet, and uh, and pitching them to to platforms, you know, uh, sort of going to the uh, platforms and being like, hey, look at this cool thing we've got coming up. Uh, you're gonna love it. Give us money, uh, and that's uh, <laughs> that's that's what I do. And, and actually, I've been doing a lot of that, especially recently, um, because um, because in general. Uh, I would say not to jump straight into this, but I would say the the landscape is changing quite a bit at the moment. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a lot of lot of data out there that's kind of showing that in general, uh, games are starting to not sell as well in the traditional sense. Um, right. Is this a Game Pass related thing? It, I don't know if it's just Game Pass. I think it's a bit of everything. I think it's. I think it's okay. certainly subscription models. I think it might be COVID. Um, you okay. know, two years ago when COVID began, uh, it, it sounds horrible to say, but our sales went like this. You know, our our sales okay just rocketed. Everyone was in in the house. Uh, loads of people realized, oh no, now I've got to do something with my time. What am I going to do? And, and people started to to discover video games, you know, and uh, it's part of why video games have done so crazy well the last couple of years. Uh, but but it's very possible now, especially looking at all the sort of data that's coming out right now on, on how games are selling, 
that the people have remembered how to go back outdoors again now. Uh, no! I, I know, I know. It's terrible news. Um, so, yeah. But but anyway, I, I think it's just a mixture of things. I, another thing is, I think that um, there's... I know, I feel like I say these words every single year, but God, there's so many games now. There's just so right. many games. And it's like, how often have you seen like a big game comes out? And then a week later, no one's talking about it anymore. Like even AAA. Yeah. Even AAA, it feels, you know, uh, Horizon. I, I feel, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like Horizon came out and everyone was like, whoa, this game, whoa. And then a week later, it was like, whoa, Elden Ring. And, and no one has talked <laughs> about Horizon since Elden Ring came out. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's just an amalgamation of so many things. And in general, yeah, it seems like, this is going to be a, a tricky year for people who sell video games, which is fun. Right, so that puts a bit more pressure on you. So the answer is to try and get, what, platform holder? That's exactly so it. Like That's, Microsoft, Sony. Yeah, yeah, to, to try and go all the way back to the original thing I was harping on about. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more like me trying to go to platforms and saying, hey, our thing's really exciting. You know, you should be interested in it. Let's work out a deal. And just de-risking the whole thing, you know. If I can, if I can find a deal with someone whereby uh, the development of the game is paid for before the game's even out, uh, that's an automatic win, you know. And then at that point, we technically don't need the game to sell as crazy well as we may have done in previous years uh, because it's paid for now, um, which is very so pleasant. Is that... So. In that scenario, would someone mm. like Sony or Microsoft then become the publisher because they're the one paying for it? No, no, we, it, it doesn't really work like that. It, it, it's, it's still pretty much just like a transactional thing. You know, in a way, you can think of it as um, I, I like to think of, of, of the idea that some of these platforms have like paid money for a bunch of free codes. You know, in a little way, it, it, okay. you know, in a, in, a, in a way, it's really not that different to, say, uh, on the Epic Store, for example, you know, when Epic are doing their things where they're giving people money and they give away X number of codes for a day or, or whatever it is they do. In a way, like a lot of these services are not that different to that. You know, it's just that the mm. period of time is a bit longer uh, and it's like specifically uh, their subscribers who can pick it up. But realistically, it's really not that different at all um yeah so yeah uh, but uh, but then also for me it's a uh, you know it's platforms outside of that as well you know something that i've always been uh, extremely excited in uh, is uh, is is no more robots trying to be sort of you know at the forefront of stuff uh i think it's part of why we've done so well for ourselves we were one of the first publishers who were putting stuff on game pass uh we were we wouldn't shut up about discord you know back when discord was sort of finding <laughs> its finding its uh its feet just would not shut up about that one uh and that's ended that ended up doing very well for us so yeah i uh, i'm always sort of keeping my eyeballs out for uh uh ways that uh potentially break from i guess the traditional publisher route really okay um so 
rewinding to last week a little bit here. Uh, congratulations yeah. on the Dream Settlers uh, announcement. Uh, Thank that you. was quite exciting. Yes. Um, for people who uh, don't know about this, uh, Dream Settlers is a spiritual successor um, to Hypnospace Outlaw, which came out in 2019. See, to me, yes. it feels like the other day, but that was three years ago. It was. It was a long time um, ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, a long And that time blows ago. my mind um, a little bit. Um, but there seemed to be a lot of excitement, um, certainly from where I was looking, um, around yes. Dream Settlers. Um, and apparently, according to you, it was your most wish-listed game on Steam. Um, so yes. Is this like a big prestigious thing? Yeah, it's... Um... The 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 hypnospace fan base is crazy and amazing. Uh, it it okay. hypnospace has been a has been a, an interesting one for us because when we first launched the game, it did great, but it didn't like blow the doors off anything, you know. Uh, and yeah. to be honest, we didn't expect it to. It was this weird '90s internet simulator, you know. Like, and and obviously when the game came out, it it's uh, it. it looked very good for us you know the reviews were crazy good i think it's still our yeah. highest rated game across everything uh it's you know it's overwhelmingly positive on steam and yada yada but um but it was still very niche it was extremely niche and and, a, and another big problem with the game as well was that uh it was built in this this wonderful game engine called construct 2 uh, which is a lovely engine but also does not um, lend itself to consoles very well. Uh, so ah. we were kind of stuck in this position where the game was on PC and uh, we had this PC-centric title, which was going to be incredibly difficult to put on consoles in the first place. So then for the next like year and a half, we struggled through trying to get it on console. We finally found a studio who would be able to do it and it still took like a year to to sort of get this thing running um and uh yeah then the the good thing was we managed to secure a game pass deal for it for its xbox launch uh we were in a nintendo direct for the like, or an indie direct whatever nintendo call those things uh for for the for the switch launch uh and so then from like it was summer 2020 uh it was like, Hypnospace again! Here it is again! Um, and all of a sudden, loads of new people started to discover the game. And since then, it's become so much bigger. You know, it's uh, th that sort of between the PC and the console launch, it was fine. People kind of knew about it, but it was more of a prestige thing. You know, it had like, a, it had yeah. multiple IGF nominations and yada yada. All those things are great. But it's like people in the industry know about them. You know, no gamers don't yeah. care about that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was only after we came out on console that, uh, that gamers started to hear about it. And how much bigger, how much of an impact did console have? Like, how much bigger did the audience become? It really depends on the game, but the answer can be massive. Um, you know, I would say for most of our games... Uh, we thought they've done decently on PC and then on console, they've really smashed it. You know, stuff like, like Descenders was, was big, right? Like we were, we were really happy with Descenders and then we put it out on each of the consoles one by one. And each time it, it blew our mind a little bit more. Um, 
even even something like Not Tonight, you know, we put Not Tonight out on PC, uh, and that's uh, that did very well for us. And then we put it out on Switch, and we started to stick that on discount a lot. And all of a sudden, you know, by now, like sales on Switch have uh, have surpassed the PC version. Uh, wow. And so it it really can't. The, the thing with console is you gotta you you gotta kind of know what you're doing a lot more on console. You gotta be tweaking stuff a lot, and you've got to be pushing it in various places. And yeah, there's a lot more nuance to console and and doing well on there. Um, so it can be. I think it's a lot easier on console to dump a game on console and then it not do very well, and you go like, oh well, that, that was that then. <laughs> guess guess it's dead. And there, which I think is actually what a lot of people do. Uh, so what what do you do? You you kind of massage it back into life somehow by yeah. I mean we you know we cheat a little bit because we're a publisher. There's a lot more opportunities for us. You know, there's a lot more situations where um, you know I can I can go to a platform. Uh, you know, we mentioned Game Pass earlier, for example. Uh, it, it it is partially because we were so early with Game Pass. You know, we we were talking about descenders on game pass in 2017 with with yeah. xbox this was wow. pretty much just as game pass had begun and no one really understood what it was um but because we were there so early then it's meant that over the years then uh xbox have felt like okay they seem to know what they're doing uh they seem they seem trustworthy we can we can probably, you know, it's probably worth us talking to them more. Whereas, you know, a sort of a newer dev uh, might struggle a bit more in those kind of conversations, okay. you know. Uh, so, so we, yeah, in that regard, we've we've cheated a fair bit. Um, <laughs> but I, but I would say, you know, I I like to uh, if we've got a game on a platform and it's not se- selling uh, as as well as I would hope, I want to work out why. I want to work out yeah. ways to make it sell. Uh, there was the sort of um, in in 2020, I I sort of infamously uh, started uh, putting some of our games on Switch on discount for 90 percent off uh, okay. as an experiment, and realized very quickly that the uh, that the Switch, the, you know, that the charts on Switch were broken. And were favored towards people selling loads of units rather than actually making loads of money. Uh, so okay. uh, I realized very quickly we could make uh, not tonight get to the number one spot in the charts. And then when the discount ended, it was just full price at the top of the charts, you know, above Mario and all ah. this kind of stuff. Uh, so th- there's there's lots of different ways to tackle the various platforms. Um on Xbox, for example, we do very well out of um, there's a there's a whole section uh, on Xbox that I think not many people are, are familiar with or even know exists called Xbox Clubs, uh, where which is essentially like a Twitter feed on Xbox for games, uh, and it's I had very no difficult idea that existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's this whole section like, and it's very as a dev, it's actually quite hard to to set up. It takes lots of steps, and it and it's a lot of work to set it up. But what you have, it's amazing because you essentially have a social media feed on the dashboard of of someone's Xbox if they've ever played your game. So, like for example, we post every single day on there on Descenders, and it, and these posts get like okay. thousands of likes on them and thousands of comments and stuff. 
which leads to more people talking about our games and, and playing the games more and all this. Um, I read that recently Descenders just had its biggest day ever, like four years. Yeah, after, it did. Uh, it did. It did. I don't know how to kill this game. I've been trying for so long. Uh, it's, <laughs> it just, it won't die. I don't know what to tell you. It's, I mean, we, we keep, uh, you know, we're taking it into uh, into Skyrim, uh, into Skyrim uh, territory at this point, <laughs> trying to put it on as many platforms as possible. Uh, it's it's on pretty much everything right now. We'd quite like to get it on uh, PS5 at some point. We're talking about a couple of other uh, surprising platforms uh, behind the scenes as well at the moment. So I hardly think that Descenders is dead just yet. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I mean, in the case of Descenders, I think that one is very much a case of perseverance, uh, us just never letting it go and just pushing and pushing and pushing it. Uh, and it being such a niche title, you know, that if someone wants to play a downhill mountain biking game, which a surprising number of people do for some reason, uh, <laughs> they're picking up ours, you know? They, I mean, they've got another option. They've got uh, Riders Republic now, you know, the Ubisoft game. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I don't know what's happened with that game, but I haven't heard much about it in a while. I, I think it's a classic no, case either. of, you know, I, I think it's one of those classic Ubisoft situations, right? Where the games come out and it's done fine. Uh, but for Ubisoft, if it doesn't sell millions and millions, then they just drop it. Uh, yeah. so yeah, not really heard much about that, which obviously is nice for us. Uh, means we get to keep the space. <laughs> so when you have a game like um, Hypnospace Outlaw come and eventually find um, a bigger audience, that must feel, I don't know, it must feel quite gratifying maybe for you because like by in your own words, it's it's quite a weird game. Like I wouldn't, it, mm. it's an odd pitch. Um, it's an odd yeah. one to even explain to people. But now, you know, uh, three years on, there's lots of people excited about a sequel in, in part because you helped this game happen. Do you ever kind of think about that? Do you think about it now? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the thing specifically with, with Hypnospace is that, uh, you know, when when Jay, Jay Tholen, the sort of the, the lead on it, when he first brought it to me... Yeah, so I, what happened there? How, how were, what was yeah. that first... So, so I was at Gamescom, and uh, we were showing. I think I just announced No More Robots a week before with in Descenders. twenty seventeen. This is this is in twenty seventeen. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and yeah, we just announced both the game and and that No More Robots existed, and then we went straight off to Gamescom, and we were uh, we had a booth in the in the Unity uh, section in the businessy bit that no one ever goes to uh, at Gamescom. And uh, this guy, Jay, asked uh, if he could have a chat with me. And he he comes along with his laptop and he sits there and starts showing me this thing. And at this point, uh, <laughs> it was the, the, the OS, the operating system was completely built and he was like putting content into it. Uh, it's, that's the weirdest thing about the Hypnospace games is that the first like, six to nine months of development is making an entire operating system. 
and <laughs> then you, like you can't make hypnospace until the operating system is in you know so that's exactly that's exactly what's happened with uh with dream settler he's spent the last year making this 2003 operating system and now like the velocity at which he can smash content into it is is crazy but uh yeah he um he showed it to me and uh and genuinely i was just like i'm well i'm gonna have this uh you know this is this is exactly what i've been looking for and, and i remember at the time uh i was scared because uh he was also talking to devolver uh you know oh. he just he'd done he'd done dropsy with devolver and he knew them all really well um so made sense that he'd be talking to them as well uh but if i if i recall correctly they i think they were essentially like a little concerned that it wouldn't sell very you know it was about how niche and weird it was essentially uh yeah. i i could be wrong about that but i'm pretty certain that's what the case was and so eventually like after months of talking to him uh, he kind of decided that I was saying all the right things, you know. Like we, when I was talking to him, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm not one of those publishers where we're like, I'm not going to have any input. I just let you do your vision, you know. It seems like that's what you'd want okay. out of a publisher, right? But it's actually not what most devs actually genuinely want. What a lot of devs actually want is they want someone to be going, hey, what about this? What about that? They want someone to be, like, batting the ball off of. Uh, and so that's, I think, what I was sort of providing Jay with. Um, and so eventually we were like, yeah, let's let's go for this. And yeah, the next sort of year was uh, him coming up with this insane thing. Uh, <laughs> Does and- it... Um- does it happen a lot that um, you know that other publishers are sniffing around a game? Is, oh, 100%. Is, is, okay. Mo- most games we sign, I know I know every other publisher that's talking to them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you try and put them off? Or will you meet them at parties and start saying... No, 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 nothing like that, no. <laughs> do you know, as, right, I know this is going to sound really stupid, but, like, uh, I... Um, I know ah, this is gonna sound so wanky, but like I know how good we are. Like I know, I know that when we're talking to devs, I know we're gonna be in like the top two that they're talking to, because uh, because we don't sound like knobheads. We <laughs> are just we're just friendly. I I not I not only know all the right things to say, but I mean them as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I I. I can talk to a dev and I and I can immediately gather from them like what kind of person they are and what kind of you know what kind of dev they are what kind of dev they're going to be like to work with and what their concerns are going to be and so I can immediately just be like listen don't worry about this this and this because it's it's not going to be a, a concern a big concern for a lot of people is like um how much it's going to end up actually costing them, you know, because you, you know, a lot of publishers will put money into a game uh, and then they'll be looking to get the money out at the end, but they'll also then have all of these hidden costs, you know, it's, oh, well, what about all of our time? We need to, we need to recoup for our time. Oh, we're going to take your game to this, this, and this, and we're going to take all the money back for that as well. And, and yada, yada, yada. And by the time the game comes out, the, the amount that the dev actually owes has ballooned. Um, and that is something that I am from 
the get-go, incredibly upfront about, I'm like, none of this is going to exist. Like, it's it's okay. just not going to be the case. And that, would you believe, works incredibly well to make somebody want to work with us. Uh, it, it turns out that uh, if you don't try to skim money off people, uh, then uh, <laughs> then they're then they're quite agreeable. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I yeah, hundred percent over the years, even recently, I've been very aware of the uh, sort of games we've stolen from other publishers, shall we say? Yeah, is it is that almost a thing of prestige? <coughs> like we we took that from Devolver. You can't have it. We'll have that. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not really like that. It's uh. I, I definitely do think sometimes like oh that that group must be looking at you know this game we've published and thinking damn we could have had that uh but i i it happens for me the other way around you know i make it out like i steal all the games i have i have not only <clears throat> had games stolen from me but i've i've also turned crazy games down over the years yeah the the most infamous one for me was that years and years ago uh Sean Murray once emailed me, uh, being like, "Oh, hey, Mike, uh, I, I've got these friends uh, who I think you might like their game. You should check it out." And I looked at this uh, this cooking game, and I was like, "Ah, oh, don't think this is going to do very well." Um, and then Overcooked has sold as well as it has. Uh, so um, yeah. That was uh, that was uh, unfortunate and embarrassing for me, but uh, in my defence, uh, the thing that scared me about Overcooked was that it was a local multiplayer game. Uh, yeah. I was I, I was where was I? I was at Tiny Build at the time, and we had a couple of local multiplayer games where I felt like oh I don't think these are going to do very well. Uh, it just it felt it was like the the bubble of um, what was the game called uh, from the Celeste Dev, um, the four player arrow arrow shooting game Towerfall. Uh, Towerfall, that's the one. Uh, yeah, it was around about Towerfall. The Towerfall had just happened, so everyone was making local multiplayer games, and loads of them were crashing and burning. Uh, so I was I was quite scared uh, about signing it. But yeah, there's been there's been loads like that. There's been loads of overcooks for me. Um, are there any I others of, it um, that you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Human Fall Flat. I oh, wasn't wow. into Human Fall Flat. wasn't into that at all. Uh, I uh, I didn't. Um, it, it was around the same time as Gang Beast, and I felt like uh, it looks like a looks like a single player Gang Beast. I don't know. Not really. Not really into it. Uh, then obviously that's done as well as it has. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there's. I, I could reel off so many that I turned down. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact, the fact of the matter is, you know, that I'm, I think I'm, I'm good at picking games. Uh, I think a lot of the games we do is, uh, are, um, a big reason why they sell so well is because, arguably, a lot of the stuff we sign is so weird, uh, and and crazy. But yeah, certainly there's, there's plenty I've left on the table that I probably shouldn't have <laughs> so we'll come back to you picking games in a moment because that's something i wanted to yeah. ask you about and how you how you came back to that but how did you how did you end up here in the first place like we i mentioned briefly that you were a game critic once upon a time like when you were a kid what, what was your ambition did you have a dream of working in games or did you want to do something else completely uh 
I guess I did. Um, I yeah, I played a lot of games. I used to draw Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, beating <laughs> Mario up uh, all the time. Oh, so yeah, you I was. The I was. Drives. I oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Mario could go to hell. And then uh, and then once Sega died, then I I flip flopped so hard. Uh, so, but um, yeah, I yeah I was always into it, but realistically, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I went to uni doing computer science. Um, okay, because there were no game design courses back then. Uh, you know, in in the Stone Age. Um, and, and so I just had to do computer science, and I hated it so much. It was so boring. Oh my god, I cannot tell you how boring it was. Uh, I um, so I uh, pretended to go to uni, and instead I sat at home <laughs> and played video games. Uh, I became obsessed with uh, with PC games. I played so much TF2. I played Counter Strike, all of these kind of things. Uh, and uh, and when I, and and through playing Counter Strike, uh, I played on voice chat a lot, and I was exactly like I am now—very <laughs> loud and obnoxious. And uh, someone offered me a job uh, through, wow. yeah, through Counter Strike. Uh, someone offered me a, a journalism, like a writing job, uh, because it turned out I was like on a journalism site's like uh, Counter Strike server. And they liked the cut of my jib, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so I started writing for them, started writing reviews and stuff, realized this is quite easy. I mean, I, I was crap. You know, don't get, don't get me wrong. When I read back my stuff now, I, I, I cringe so hard. Fortunately, most of it is gone from the internet now and is only <laughs> accessible, you know, through the way, the Wayback Machine. But um, yeah, uh, I, I was like, oh, this is easy. Uh, what a piece of piss this is. And I... Uh, I was able to smash things out very quickly, you know. Maybe the quality wasn't there, let's say, but uh, yeah, I was I was reliable. I think was a big thing. So there was a lot of sites which were happy for me to write for them uh, because they'd asked me to do something and I had it done just like that, you know. It was, it was uh, yeah, I was I was extremely reliable, um, and so then you know wrote for a bunch of different places, got a proper job at Gamma Sutra. Uh, started writing there, started to discover the business of video games, uh, uh, talking to lots of devs, uh, listening to how their games sold or how their games didn't sell, started to become fascinated with that. I uh, started to uh, research it all. I started to like take it really seriously, you know, um, sort of uh, doing... Uh, surveying hundreds and hundreds of devs and finding info wow. and then trying to like write things where I felt like it might actually help the devs. And then I started to do GDC talks about it all. And and I remember the first time I ever did a GDC talk, uh, I was shit scared. Of course I was. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember like my talk was right after somebody else's and the room was kind of empty. And I was like, oh crap, this is really, this is, this is not, not a great look. And then I was like, I'll, I'll just, I'll pop to the toilet quick before I do. And I went outside and there was just hundreds of people queuing outside for my talk. And I, and I was just in that moment, I was like, holy crap, this is, <laughs> people want to know about this. I remember like for that first talk, like the walls just lined with people because there were so many. Wow. Uh, this, this was like before people were doing talks like this, you know, there, there wasn't really many sort of 
as weird as, as it is to believe now, there weren't that many marketing talks uh, back then. Uh, I guess people were like keeping info close to their chest. Uh, and all yeah. of a sudden there was this this weird British guy um, just kind of spilling it all. Uh, so yeah, I uh, did a lot of that for a couple of years. And then, yeah, got I went to do a, a talk at, um, at a game conference and Tiny Build uh, said to me, hey, you should do that, but for us. <laughs> uh that was it that was that was that was how i i careered through uh video game journalism into this so when did when did the conversation begin in your head or with someone else um about no more robots and this idea that <clears throat> you wanted to do something on your own and well i don't know what was the conversation what... yeah i uh the the horrible truth is that I'm just uh, an egotistical bastard. Uh, <laughs> I I like I, I I've been doing you know I, I was working at Tiny Build and then after Tiny Build uh, for a brief period I worked at a publisher called Ripstone and uh, I I just felt a lot of the time like I could be doing this better you know like mm. I. I when you're working for for someone else, uh, in a lot of the capacity of it, you, you're working at their whim, right? Like you can kind of come up with your own ideas, and that was what I did a lot. You know, I was de- I was desperately always trying to like break out of the box and and try to do my own thing in everything that I did. Uh, but at the end of the day, you run a little bit of a leash as well. You know, like there's mm. there's certain there's certain bits you won't be privy to and there's certain bits you won't be able to and and also there's a lot of politics involved as well you know there's a lot of uh when you're not the boss a lot of the time your boss wants you to know that they're the boss <laughs> you know what i mean i guess that that someone a lot of the time people who become bosses uh want everybody to know that they're the fucking boss you know <laughs> and uh and and so a lot of the time that was a struggle for me uh, and I was becoming a little bit of a troublemaker, uh, you know, in terms of I wanted to do A, B, and C, and no, we shouldn't be doing those things, and oh, come on, what are you talking about? We should be doing these things. Um, and so, yeah, I started to, in my head, think, I could probably do this myself, to be honest. And I, at this point, I knew enough people, you know, and I, I was thinking, I've got enough of a reputation going that I can probably find a few decent games out of this and so yeah started to just think about that sort of start of 2017 um and uh it's all fell into place pretty quickly to be honest Um, so who did you start uh no more robots with was it just you or it was just me Okay. Uh, you, you mean in terms of staff or people or like yeah, devs we're working I guess, with? Uh, you, you're the sole founder staff. of. For the first 14 months, it was just me, which wow. is okay. crazy to think about now. Like I was doing everything. I was I was marketing. I was the QA. I was doing all the production. I was I was you know faking to people like yeah I understand how all of these various backends work. And then I was sat there fat 
hours just <laughs> clicking buttons in like the Xbox backend trying to work out how on earth does this thing work. Um, so but Descenders so- was the first game you you signed. Yeah. And yes, it was. Yeah. Do you re- do you remember that conversation um, that you had? Were you kind of nervous because it was your first game? Was it something you signed early on? Or- yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did loads of really dumb things. Yeah, um, <laughs> that that they that they would agree. You know, I'm I'm amazing friends with them all now, so they they would 100 percent agree with, with everything <laughs> I say here. I um yeah, I I had no idea what I was doing, and I said loads of stupid stuff to them. At one point, like I made them a deck. Uh, like to try and sell myself to them that was full of so many wanky words. Like it was, so what is it was what I you mentioned because you mentioned like just like deck. just like a just like a PowerPoint, you know, just like a PowerPoint where the first one is like you know the first slide is like you and no more robots. Why you should work with me? Uh, page one. <laughs> hey, here's why you should work with me. I here's me. Here's what I do. And blah blah blah. Here's your game. Here's what I think about your game. Here's what we should do with your game. And it and uh. I um, you know, I I'd done these kind of things at other companies before, and always thought that they were a bit. Ugh, God, this is so lame. Uh, but apparently, it's just the thing we do in our industry for some reason. Yeah. So I felt like I had to make one, and it was really embarrassing. And I could tell in their faces, like, what is he talking <laughs> about? Um, and it was really strange. Uh, but uh, but then I uh, yeah I, f- I flew over to to the Netherlands where Rage Squid are who, who make Descenders and I hung out with them for a day uh, and uh, yeah I, I mean in fairness I'd known them before uh, I kind of known most of them before from getting drunk with them at uh, at, at conferences I, I think to be honest that's how most people knew me having having alcohol with me at, at some. Uh, video game place but uh yeah i so so i i think i was already sort of in their good books from there um but also and we we all say this to each other now they always say to me why on earth did you sign this game like based off of what we showed you because the mm. first thing that they showed me of descenders looked so much different to what it is now and okay. it looked so bad what, what uh, it, it, it looked look like? it it was it was like it was like how Descenders looks now, except that um, b- the most indie looking thing that you could imagine, you know, <laughs> like just like what like one color textures everywhere. Like the biker was like kind of like riding like a madman, and and whatever like there was the physics were just non-existent. When you went over an edge, it was just like the bike just went woo. Like it was it was <laughs> it was it was bad, but. Uh, but I think the answer for why I was so interested in it was because um, because it was so weird. Like, arguably, out of all of our games, Descenders is one of the least weird ones at this point. Uh, hmm. You know, out, it, it's it's arguably um, a lot more traditional. But but actually, at the same time, it's not. You know, when they kind of come to pitch it to me, it was. Uh, they were hard pitching it as like uh, Spelunky, but on downhill bikes. You know that okay. that was what the pitch was, uh, yeah. and it had all of this procedurally generated worlds, and and you die after you've crashed a few times, and all this kind of stuff. And and we were originally we were gonna have it where like whenever you died, you like lost a bunch of your rep, like you lost your total score, and the more score that you had, 
the the bigger the chunk you were going to lose and it was going to be horrible you know and, and actually wow. the game launched like that originally for the first three months of the game's life uh that's how it was uh and people uh didn't react the best to it uh so <laughs> we kind of uh changed that a little bit but yeah it it was it was a it was a weird game and that's what i was looking for i was looking for weird um so uh yeah it was a, it was a nice way to start the journey, I would say, um, but uh, I don't I don't know if I could I, I got I got quite lucky I think is a, a big part of that really. So how you we've mentioned it a little bit, but how do you select games? Because how does a publisher find mm. game, and how do you specifically find games? You know, is there a big publisher market somewhere that you all? go to and let's like, like with cattle yeah. walking around and you just yeah and we got the little one. cards and we yeah. and we put and we make I'll noises like <laughs> yeah yeah um it's a uh it's it's one of the questions i find the hardest to answer because i don't really know what the answer is uh and i and i, I wish i did i have a feeling and I see a game and I just have a feeling about it. And okay. then I just kind of know. And I know that's a terrible answer, but um, it's, I mean, it definitely helps when a game is weird. Uh, I know not what you just mean, though, weird. it's a similar thing for me. You know, like I know if I'm walking yeah. around a game show, for instance, I see a game that is interesting and people might want to know about, you know, that I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's um, it's kind of like uh, y- a, a lot of the time I say to developers when they're trying to work out, you know, when I'm giving like GDC talks and stuff, can you describe your game in a quick sentence? And the sentence that you've said is no other game other than yours. And I think that that stands true for most of our games. Yeah. You know, if I if I say it's the downhill biking roguelike, then a lot of the time people will be like, oh, well, it's got to be Descenders. Or it's the 90s alternate reality internet simulator. Oh, well, it's probably got to be Hypnospace. It's the it's the Brexit simulator. Oh, it's probably got to be Not Tonight. <laughs> a, a, a lot of our games can be described like that. And it can only be our game. And I think a lot of the time, especially new devs, feel like they have to make something in a genre and in a style that's already been done because it's been proven that it will sell. You know, so a lot of developers end up making just the same game over and over again. And that's a lot of what the pictures we get are. And and as horrible as it sounds, I, I can dismiss a lot of pitches incredibly quickly just by pretty much just like flicking through a PowerPoint they've sent me and going, okay, so it's this kind of game and it looks like this and that looks like this other game and I'm out already. Uh, Again, I know that's horrible, uh, but that's not... and And I think some other publishers do well out of that. You know, some other publishers have worked out how to sort of... um they've they've carved out their own niche and they could sell like a, a specific kind of genre or a specific kind of visual style. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I I want each of our games to be like 
I think we've got to a point now where people know when we're about to announce the game that there's going to be something weird about it. Uh, it's going to be interesting, at least in some way. Even if it yeah. ends up not being for them, they'll at least go, oh, okay, so that's what they're doing next. That's strange. Um, I, yeah, I think that's kind of what we aim for. And it's a mixture of people sending pictures to you and you visiting, mm -hmm. presumably going to events where people are um, exhibiting or something like that well it's been the for it's been the former a lot more recently you know because because yeah. we can't go to events uh <laughs> yeah it used to be a lot more of me walking around um events and people showing stuff to me but yeah it's been it's been pretty much all just finding stuff online uh recently uh and you know at this point we've got enough of a name that pretty much every game comes across our table at, at this point you know every time we see another publisher announce a game we've probably been pitched it um yeah because because good developers who know what they're doing will be sending that pitch to absolutely everybody under the sun you know yeah uh so um so yeah uh at, at this point it's keeping an eyeball on the on on the, the emails coming in and uh seeing if anything takes my fancy really. so when something does take your fancy um, and you get to the conversation stage, what are the what are the kinds of conversations you have? Because, you know, do you hand them a, a bag of money and they sign their life mm. away? No, of course yeah. not. But like, but but you know what? Obviously, there's a talk yeah. about money and release date and stuff like that at yeah. some point. What like how does it go? Uh, it can be very. It can vary a lot based on like what they're looking for, essentially. Most devs are, as you'd expect, looking for the game to be funded, um, which is absolutely fair enough. Um, what, what tends to happen a lot is that, especially when someone's making a game for the first time or maybe even the second time, uh, is that they'll they'll come and they'll sort of uh, say, here's what we need. And I'll look at what they need and I'll immediately think, like, I like the look of this game but what they sort of think they need is kind of off. Uh, you know, most of the time, devs will come to us with, like, a huge number. Right. You know, like, a, a huge number and a huge amount of time. We need uh, we need a mill uh, for two years to make a game <laughs> in two years. <clears throat> and uh, and then they and they always... Every single time in the PowerPoint, they've always got this one page that's like, uh, and here's how other games in the genre did. Look, here's Limbo. That sold millions. <laughs> we'll probably do that as well. Uh, and, then the, and then they'll always have like one game that didn't do as well, but still did amazing. Oh, look, even in the worst case scenario, here's a game that only sold 200,000 copies. So at, a, at least we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get that. And I'm always like... No, no, you won't. That's that's not gonna happen. You gotta be realistic, and and uh, a lot of the time, in those scenarios where I really like the look of a game, but they're being a little bit unrealistic, I'll get back in touch and I'll I kind of say this. I you know I'll kind of be upfront and say, uh, look, I I like it, but here's the thing, uh, to make this much money back, we would need to sell. 150,000 copies, mm. uh, you know, within the first few months uh, for you to be making money. Uh, 
which is unreasonable. Like, 99.9% of games don't do that. Yeah. Uh, so it's very unlikely you're going to do that. So let me ask you a question. If you didn't, then what would you do? Like, the game's just come out. Imagine the scenario the game's just come out, and uh, it's two months after the game came out. What are you doing now? Because the game hasn't made enough money, and you guys aren't making money, and what what is the situation and it and those conversations seem to like they go they go one of two ways with a lot of people either they just lock down and they're like no like right. we will sell that many we're going to do really well and we're going to be the best and all this and i at that point kind of go all right well fair play to you i i hope you find someone to work with because the game genuinely looks great but unfortunately i don't think this is going to work yeah or you can see the cogs turning and you see Somewhat, you know, you see the person on the other side being like, "Right, okay, yeah, all right, fair enough, okay, well, well, what can we, what can we do about that then?" And I, then I'll be like, "Right, well, like, why is it taking two years to make this thing? You've already put a year into it, and you're planning to put two more years into it. Do you know what video games are going to look like in two years? Do you have right. any clue whatsoever? What, what if it's all subscription services in two years?" And there's no way to sell games anymore, and you become incredible. You completely reliant on outside forces uh, to the point where, it, what if this genre of game you're making? This happens quite often. What if the genre of game you're making just isn't popular anymore in two years? Yeah. What if this 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 kind of thing is a fad? Uh, and no and one's going to be playing this anymore. And I imagine the conversations can be tricky because you're talking about someone's creative work. You know, something they are. Oh yeah, invested. Hundred percent. Yeah, it, it, they 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 always have at least an edge to them. These conversations, you know, because yeah, like you say, it, I I'd be like that if someone was questioning my plans. I yeah. my immediate thing would be to be incredibly defensive and be like, well, actually, I have thought about this. <laughs> um, but but at the end of the day, a lot of the time, when you really break something down into numbers for somebody, it becomes a lot harder for them to sort of. Yeah deny like when they when they're staring raw numbers in the face and they realize uh yeah okay this actually might be kind of difficult to do uh that that's when those conversations can begin to turn Um, so let's say you've had the conversation they're up for it you're up for it um you sign um and then you start working together um you touched on this a bit earlier you said that you're not one of the people who stands back and lets them just have their creative kind of freedom you're there as a sort of sounding board um how does the kind of development process go from there on do you have is it, it it might vary from from uh team to team but do you have kind of milestone moments where you know those mini deadlines before the big deadline um yeah and if you do have those so what what happens next and i guess where do difficulties arise if any do arise yeah i mean it's quite a boring answer but yeah you're right it's pretty much just milestone based stuff you know it's beforehand we've set out a plan for these next 12 months here's the monthly milestones at the end of this first month we're aiming for you guys to have made this, this, and this in the game. Uh, And then we get to the end of the month and we, you know, have a call. All right, let's play, play the build that you've made. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've got this, this, and this on it. Oh, we didn't manage to get this one thing into it. Uh, We kind of ran over time. 
all right, that's fine, whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, the point of the milestone stuff is just to try and roughly keep it on track, you know? Yeah. It's not like um, it's not like if they've not got that one thing done, it's like, right, well, no money <laughs> for you then. Maybe you should have worked harder because uh, that wouldn't benefit anybody. And uh, so the milestone yeah, it, moment it's very much... is where they... Yeah. So if they pass the milestone, they get some more money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it'll be, you know, you kind of call it like deliverables, you know? Uh, so it'll be like, uh, yeah, it, 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 we, we've kind of agreed beforehand. At the end of each month, there's going to be a build that we can play of the game that includes all of these things. And obviously, as you'd expect, it never goes that way. Uh, every, every single game that was ever created has been delayed. Uh, I genuinely don't believe that there's a single video game that has ever entirely been on time in the existence of the video game industry. Duke Nukem Forever. Um, oh, that one. <laughs> well, that one nearly did, I guess. That one nearly did. But um, yeah, I, I, that that's essentially how it goes. And, and it can be, you, it, you know, you were kind of saying it earlier, it can be kind of a gratifying thing, you know, because as we're, as we're watching the game getting built, uh, you get to, especially early on, you know, you get to see the direction it's taking and you start to get, you get to um, see it all stringing together. And that's when a lot of the time you start to see like, oh, well, hang on a minute. This could be working better. Or, oh, well, but what if it was a little bit more like this? And those conversations start to happen. And a lot of the time it can be those conversations which inevitably lead to a game being a bit delayed. You know, you, okay. you start to realize, oh, like this game could go from like, a 7 out of 10 to a 8.5 out of 10 by like focusing a bit more on this, this and this, or, or this bit of it isn't working as well. Like we could just try to massage that a little bit. Why don't we spend another month just on this, this one mechanic of the game? Um, and uh, yeah, things, things start to come out in that process really. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much how it works. And the only other thing you really have to decide is, well, when are we going to start publicly talking about this thing? Okay. Um, and a lot of the, the a lot of the time, the answer to that is is when it makes sense. You know, when the game is in a state where when we show this publicly, it's going to look cool. Uh, we're going to be able to put together some cool videos for it, and uh, there's a there's enough sort of meat there already. Uh, that uh, that people are going to get excited. When do you get an idea of how it's a vague metric, but how successful um, a game is going to be? And I, I kind of mean that holistically, I suppose, in because there's there's many measures um, of success. But when yeah. do you get an idea of how well a game's going to do, and does that affect how much marketing you put behind it, or are all games all games equal in that respect? Yeah. The- you know, a tricky thing is that the goalpost moves so much. Uh, it, you, like years ago, it used to be that I could tell you, like this game's, I could tell this game's going to do really well. Uh, like uh, when uh, when Yeshua Grace came out, for example, I could I could tell you that that game was going to do really well before it even did. Yeah, uh, and that was because at the time, uh, you know you'll be sick of devs going on about it but like wishlist steam wishlist was the thing that everyone wouldn't shut up about <laughs> uh and we'd done very well there you know we'd collected lots we'd done a lot of different things um to kind of get people to to wishlist the game 
And uh, <clears throat> so when it launched, we had we had a certain number of wish lists. And so I could tell, right, well, it's very likely that this is going to cause us to do well. And we did. Uh, th- these days, it's much harder. Much harder. Um, partially because everybody started begging for wish lists. Uh, uh, okay. And it does not do anything anymore. I can tell you that. We still do it um, because it's still uh, a worthwhile thing to do, but it is not the useful metric that it used to be. Uh, we've had games that uh, have had so many wish lists come out, and if they had had that many wish lists a, f- a couple of years ago, they would have smashed it. You know, they would have come out and, and blew the doors off Steam. Uh, and then they've just done fine, um, because it's it's just it's a thing that people are just used to doing now, and it doesn't it doesn't hold as much gravity anymore. Um, but because of that, there's now less metrics for working out whether a game's going to do well or not. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, but you know, th- there's still a level to which we can suss it out. When when Let's Build a Zoo came out at the end of last year. Uh, I'd kind of worked out with the dev beforehand. Uh, we need to aim for it to cost this much because I think that the game's going to end up making this much, and so you guys will be making money pretty much straight away. And I was, and I ended up being bang on there, and 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 the the game was sort of profitable from from week one. Wow. Uh, so there's definitely still ways to do it. It's just a lot. It's just way more of a struggle now. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people are getting caught out. I think, um, you know, I, uh, I I I keep eyes on the competition, uh, and I sort of you know watch all of the other smaller publishers and stuff. And and there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of releases from people much bigger than us recently, which have not gone down very well. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a that's not a, a a slur on them. It's it's that. As I was kind of saying at the start of this, things are becoming more difficult, uh, and it's 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 a lot easier now to feel safe before a launch. You know, feel like, oh, well, look at the numbers we've got. This game's gonna do great, and then it absolutely does not. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly become a a trickier space. I would say. So when a game uh, comes out and it does do um, quite well, or I suppose even in the case of Hypnospace Outlaw doesn't initially i mean like it does yeah. fine i guess um and then it goes on to grow yeah. which is great this idea that a game can yeah. add that later on but when do you start mm. talking about possible sequels um or spiritual sequels um as they're called when does that become a discussion are you already talking about it before the games come out or do you leave it is there like a, a gap or yeah no a lot of the time it naturally happens uh and a lot of the time um it's like a it's like a specific amount of time goes by during which no one wants to talk about it because everybody's done with this game you know <laughs> don't get me wrong love every game we work on but after you've launched it and stuff you're a little bit done with it yeah um so yeah for 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 hypnospace um I think it just kind of naturally happened. Actually, I think something that happened with Hypnospace was um, <clears throat> that a year and a bit after it came out, uh, I had become obsessed with listening to the soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> I to listened the game. to it again and especially... the other day, and the, the songs, yeah. I'd kind of forgotten them. And then in 
the space of about three minutes, they'd all come rushing back into my head, and I can still hear "Granny Bear's yeah. hot butter ice cream" or however it goes. It, I know. Yeah, it, it's 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 difficult uh, because I really love the game, but I think I love the the music from the game more than the game. Uh, I'm I'm actually quite obsessed with it, and and you know we just. Uh, <laughs> We finally we've had a we've had a vinyl in the works with with uh, Fan Gamer for years now, and that's finally it's just been printed and it's on the way at the moment, and I am genuinely losing my mind over it. <laughs> uh, but I remember listening to the soundtrack one day, and this will sound weird and terrible, but I remember just thinking to myself, I need more of this. I just need more. I need Hot Dad to do more Chowder Man. I need more seepage. I need I need I need Jay to make more music. And I just remember thinking to myself, I need to tell him to make a sequel so that he can make more music. And okay. I genuinely went to Jay and and said, hey, do you think it's about time that we talk about a sequel? Just selfishly so that I could have more music. Don't get me wrong, I'm very excited for the game as well. But on another level, the music is so ah to me. I'm 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 gonna lose my mind. Every time that I see him talking about, oh, I think we're gonna have a new track from this person soon, I like sit there like in the Discord brimming, just like <laughs> Because one day, like, the thing that Jay does is he'll just drop a link. He'll just, like, he'll just drop a new Chowder Man track uh, in the in the, in the the chat. Like, oh, by the way, there's a new Chowder Man track. And I'll, and I'll <laughs> just, like, my, me and my wife are obsessed. I'll just be like, Rachel, Rachel, there's a new track. <laughs> and we'll just both go and sit there. You're, you're, like, to this new you're music almost like Zane. Sort of... I can picture posters on the wall of... <laughs> Uh, the, the yes, and things. yes, that is exactly what I was like at uni, though. Like my, uh, I've I've got photos of my of my walls at uni, and you could not see the walls anymore uh, because of the posters on the walls. So when you uh, um, message yeah, Jay um, and you say, "Hey, <laughs> have you thought about making a sequel um, for me?" Um, is he then quite open to the idea? Is it just like, "Yes, okay, let's do it," or how? How does it? It go was I, as far as I remember. It was. I think it was exactly like that. Yeah. Wow. I um. You know, at this point, um, J, uh, Jay, uh, I can't remember exactly what he was doing, but we've been doing a lot of just hypnosis stuff for a long time. You know, we've been we've been doing the the console versions. Uh, he'd uh, been making hypnosis plus, which was like this. Um, sort of, you know, upgrade for the game that added like a hundred new pages or something like that. He pretty much just hadn't stopped doing Hypnospace. But, and, and also, uh, he'd had a kid as well, so he was sort of in uh, in, in looking after a baby land. And so um, I think the day I suggested it, it was just, it felt this natural like, yeah, this is what we should do next. Alright, cool, let's do it. And that just sort of happened. Um which was was uh, was very pleasant, but uh, yeah, I don't know if it always happens like that. When we when we talked to um, I talked to Tim uh, Tim Constant about doing the Not Tonight sequel, um, we kind of mentioned it a few times in the past, uh, and then I dreamt the entire game, <laughs> uh, 
and I and I woke up in the morning. So so the the sequel, not tonight too, is is uh, is not tonight again, but it's in America, and you know it's it's you know meant to be all around American politics, etc. And I remember dreaming the entire thing, and then waking up, just like literally waking, like that spooky eyes open thing. And then just getting up and being like, I must talk to Tim immediately. I remember just going to message him and being like, here's a dream I just had. And here's what it was like. And then he was like, yeah, yeah, we should probably do that now. And I'm like, right, let's do it. And then <laughs> just kind of putting all of that together within like the space of a week. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess things happen in that way sometimes. I guess. Yeah. It, it's quite nice in a way that because you're a smaller company, I guess things are freer to move in the way they move they don't have to be squeezed into a certain mold um that the company has as a process. yeah and uh, well the other side of it as well is that you know quite frankly at this point we're in an incredibly privileged position where uh we've done quite well and so now i on my side i can take risks now and them not really be massive risks anymore uh, you know, we can, we we can kind of afford to just get the stuff made that we all personally just want to get made. Yeah. Uh, and it's not like we need all of these games to be smash hits. Uh, we, I, quite honestly, we don't really need any games to be gigantic smash hits. Uh, at this point, um. You know, a lot of our games have done decently and because the teams are small and because we've done it in sort of a, a lean manner, uh, the games have done great for everybody. Um, and uh, and be because of that model, which I, I think is quite a different model to, to a lot of other publishers, you know, I think a lot of other publishers, you know, you see in the news all the time, right? Like Publisher X has received five million dollars in seed funding for blah de blah de blah yeah. and then and i and i always see that and i am the opposite of jealous uh <laughs> because that sounds like pressure to me that sounds like not something that i want so no uh, more all of a sudden like having all of this money and being like oh what do i do with it you know <laughs> well, that's great so no more robots is is five years old um this year yeah i'm not sure exactly when this year or, or when your birthday is but um how how much bigger... when i decide it is yeah. okay um so how many people are you now how much bigger are you oh, well you were just you i guess at the beginning but how big is no more robots now we are 13 people wow okay um and i think we need to stop now uh i think this is the biggest that we should get uh but I will say that actually only a small portion of that is the publishing. Okay. Um, a huge portion of the team is developers. Um, so uh, we have two people at No More Robots, uh, Jared and Liz, who are the Descenders team. Um, Ra Rage Squid uh who made descenders have sort of moved on to their own stuff right. to to other stuff and but but of course it would be silly of us to abandon descenders yeah uh at, at the 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 peak of its 
whatever the heck it is that Descenders is doing. Uh, so we've essentially like taken over and and we uh, we we make updates for the game and bring it to other platforms and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, okay. Um, so so yeah, that's part of it. And then uh, and then we also have an internal studio of a few people. Okay. Who are uh, making an, an internal thing. Wow. Uh, that is exciting. And I don't know when we're going to be talking about that, <laughs> but, uh, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's, and it, but, it, but it feeds back into, you know, I was just saying a moment ago, how we're in this privileged position where we can do risky things now and they're less risky, uh, yeah. because we, we, we're just doing fine. Uh, that's one of those things. That's one of those things where currently we're sort of just burning money into an internal thing that we all want to make. Uh, and it's just this really sort of uh, nice, here's the game we all want to play, so let's just make it. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, yeah, quite excited about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it mean, but yeah, it means that realistically, actually, I think like, six people are actually on the publishing okay. team uh no more robots whereas everybody else is a is a developer um, so so in those yeah. five years uh, i suppose much has happened you know um a bunch of games have come out um i can't remember exactly how many i'd count them up um, i'm sure you know um do you have yeah. any standout or or kind of favorite memories from from those five years maybe the things that just quickly flash into your head and you think yeah that was a real that was a moment yeah yeah there's quite a few i mean one of the obvious ones for me was just the whole uh game pass thing i'm sorry to go on about it again <laughs> i feel like all i bloody do is talk about game pass i'm <laughs> some kind of walking billboard for it but uh but i i had no idea what to expect of it is i think is the main thing you know this was in 2018 uh i i we we you know we we signed Descenders up to this Game Pass thing and and uh, and I remember being very wary of it. I remember being understandably wary about it. Like, but what if we put it in this thing and it just kills the game? And I remember um, I remember Ago from uh, from Xbox. Uh, he's he's a thunderful now, of course. But I remember him. He he came to Manchester uh, to talk to me. And he was just basically just like we were just sat in a place and he was just trying to like reassure me like <laughs> it's like it's gonna it's gonna be great, don't worry about it. Like it's gonna but I was just so I was so unsure of it. Uh and yeah, I I I couldn't have been like more wrong about what it was gonna do for the game, you know, before uh before before it went into it. it we yeah, we, we went into Game Pass and uh and I just remember that day, just looking at the numbers, like holy crap! Like <laughs> so many people playing the game, and and the sales are going up. And just from that point, it was like the game took on its own new life. You know, uh, it, it, again because of the lean way that we ran, it already done great for us all. We were all super happy, yeah. and then just all of a sudden, it just like kicked it up a notch, and and it leaked into so many other things. You know, like being on Game Pass. Uh, for like a year and a bit before we came to PlayStation, meant that when we came out on PlayStation, sold crazy. 
because so many people had heard of the game at that point, yeah. you know, and I kind of told all their gamer friends, oh, you should be playing this. Is it on Xbox? No. Oh, well, I'll wait until it's on Xbox. Um, yeah, that really leads. And, and so, yeah, that that was um, that was a really nice thing for me. And it, and it kind of validated for me early on in the life of No More Robots that I kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah. You know, like I, I was didn't know I knew what I was doing, but I was certainly putting on the impression that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> uh and uh yeah that was that was a nice thing and um but yeah even even just you know i remember every single game launch we've had uh and the feeling of of it and feeling nervous as hell and uh and then uh i remember yes your grace coming out and uh sort of refreshing steam <laughs> every single five minutes so watch the game going up the the top sellers charts and yeah Lots of lots of moments like that. I'll, I'll definitely won't forget the Dream Settler announcement the other week because uh, the um, you know we we did the sort of live stream of that uh, little live stream show of like a thousand people watching and uh, the the live chat was moving so fast it was just a blur, uh, which is was amazing. Just you know really amazing to see. Um, yeah, lots of lots of, of nice memories, I would say. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, Mike, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Um, but before you go, um, I've got a few questions that I ask yeah. everyone. Um, and they're kind of silly there. Yeah. Kind of nice. So the first of these... I like silly. Um, ...is first game. What was the first game you played? And it can be the very first or it can be the first significant one, whatever that means to you. Oh God! Ah. Do you know? I think my earliest memory is sat uh, eating poppadoms <laughs> and playing Fuji Golf. Wow! Uh, on uh, you know that that game that came with Windows. Oh my uh, God! Did it come with Windows three point one, something like that. I I I just remember sitting and playing Fuji Golf and just being blown away. I love that uh, you remember the poppadoms as well. That this existed. Yeah, it's a very, very specific memory. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, the 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 other one that really sticks out to me is is uh, that I was gifted a game that I actually sort of owned instead of just being a free game that came on Windows. I I I uh, had Command and Conquer, right. uh, you know, and and you had the sort of GDI disc and the Nod disc, and I remember within a day I lost the GDI disc. And I just couldn't play it anymore. And I could only play the Nod missions. And obviously they were like the evil missions. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that helped me grow into the person I am today. <laughs> um, but uh, that was certainly an early memory as well. Yeah. Um, good games. So the second question is last game. What was the last game that you played? Uh, the last game that I played uh all the way through was was elden ring okay uh i hate dark souls wow oh my god i hate dark souls i really hate it i um i'm not i'm really not into this uh oh we'll just keep doing the same bit over and over again and just get good at it and then you'll learn the rhythms and blah 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 uh, for me i get it I, I understand why people like it but for me it's wasting my time <laughs> uh, i just i want to you know i i want to be like seeing new things in my eyeballs all the time but people wouldn't shut up about Elden Ring, <laughs> and so i thought go on then i'll grab it and 
Uh, and I, for the first like 10 hours, I hated it. For the first 10 hours, I was like, this is the worst. It's just, it's everything I hate again. And then <sighs> I realized I could go anywhere. Like, stop trying to beat Margit. Screw that guy. Let's just go somewhere else. And then it finally started to sort of seep in for me. Uh, and I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I never finished games, and I and I finished Elden Ring, uh, and it was it was very good. Fantastic. Well, I've but ne- I'm not going to go back and play Dark Souls. I've never heard anyone <laughs> come to. Um, I've never heard anyone who hated Dark Souls then really like Elden Ring. Mm. Maybe there are lots of people out there like this with with similar opinions. I will. It will be something I ask people from now on. Um, so the third of these questions, yeah. um, maybe the trickiest one. Um, is best game, which I suppose is what is your favorite game? Mm. Depends on, on how you interpret it, I mm. suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot that springs to mind. Um, Spelunky was always one of my favorites, and I played a great deal of that. Um there's a lot of games which I'd say are my were my favorite game, but then if I went back and played them now, they're crap. <laughs> you know, they're just ugh. like like Mario sixty four and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, it's the best, it's the best, and then I go back and it's 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 not good now. Uh, you know, understandably, it's 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 aged poorly. Um, I mean, I don't know. I I would say out of every game ever, the embarrassing answer is probably something like Tetris. Tetris is that it, it's it's just so pure, yeah, uh, and it's so perfect. I was playing what was it Tetris, uh, Tetris Connected or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was I was playing that the other day. God, I could just sit and play Tetris for. I could play it just forever. It's very very good. It's great. It kind of yeah. kind of uh, coaxes you into a trance, like you just kind of sit there. Yeah. As the blocks are falling, and you almost have to not lose like a magic eye thing. It's you just quite, to... it's just quite calming as well, you know. I, l- I like things that are, I like just simple puzzles that are calming. I think it's why a lot of people will sit and like do a crossword or they'll do a Sudoku or, you know, I, I love P Cross. I absolutely love P Cross. I've played like, you know, on the Switch, there's all those like Super P Cross 1, Super P Cross 2, super, and I've, j- I've played through all of them. I've done, I have done. <laughs> thousands of p-crosses in my life at this point uh i i really like just sitting with like a a calming puzzle like that um which you know is not the most exciting answer um no but but it's a good answer and it's maybe a common answer across a lot of people they're just maybe too scared to say they're like i've got to pick elden ring or something um Mm. Mike, you yeah. have been wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, to everyone listening and or watching, um, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with someone else amazing from the world of games uh, to talk to. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>